0: To be effective in prayer, there are several things you need to know about spiritual conflict and how to pray your way through it. This message is the eighth in the series, Talk to Me. The message is entitled, Prayers That Rise Against Spiritual Attacks. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6 And I want to talk to you today about talking to God, your relationship with God, your prayer life as we're involved in this series of messages uh, in the beginning of this new year together, 2015. And we're talking about how you and I learn to pray more effectively. And today I want to talk to you about prayers that rise against spiritual attacks that will come in your life, prayers that rise against spiritual attacks. Jesus was asked one day, How do we pray, Jesus? Teach us to pray. And Jesus said, very familiar, you know these words. In fact, why don't you quote them together with me? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. One of the things that Jesus taught us to pray about on a consistent basis is found in one little phrase in that model prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or in some translations, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Jesus said, in this spiritual journey, you're going to have to learn how to do battle. And there is an enemy that you have to learn how to fight. And he is the evil one, and you must learn to pray against him and pray against his strategies and schemes. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or evil." I'm going to talk to you for a few moments today about spiritual warfare. It's a topic that most Christians have not had a lot of instruction in. We don't hear the phrase very often, and some of you may not even be familiar with what the phrase means. What is spiritual warfare? What is that all about? And I will also say very quickly that uh, some of you perhaps have been exposed to some very radical and strange teachings about spiritual warfare, and so what I hope to do today is both inform people that do not know what spiritual warfare is, and then to also maybe adjust your thinking regarding spiritual warfare along the lines so that all of us understand it in a more biblical perspective. What is spiritual warfare? How do we fight these spiritual battles. And I'm going to share with you three things today that will help us to do this. And so, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, the first thing that you and I must uh, recognize if we're going to fight a good fight of faith in the spiritual battles is we have to be aware of the battle. One of the greatest qualities that you can ever develop in life is awareness about anything. Awareness really means knowing or recognizing, understanding vital information, not just to have the information, but so that you can make a decision upon it. So, awareness says, I know this, I have this vital piece of information, so now I can act upon it. So, you cannot act wisely until you're aware, awareness always produces the capacity opportunity to act wisely, to do something in response to it. And that's true when it comes to spiritual conflict and spiritual warfare. And you and I need to be aware of the battle. And I've listed three things there on your notes that that awareness uh, has to do with. The first thing is you must deepen your awareness of the influence of unseen forces on seen situations. Let me explain that. The world in which we live, most of us operate day in and day out in the seen environment. We, we see what we see. We interact with the world around us in a material way, if you will. We touch and feel our senses are all uh, activated. And so we tend to operate in a world that is a visible world. We see that and we tend to think that's all there is. But the Bible teaches that the visible world is not all that exists. There is an invisible world that is just as real as the visible world. In fact, it is the invisible world that made the visible world. God, the invisible God, spoke, and the visible world came into existence. And so, we have to realize that life does not exist just on one level as we see it. There's another dimension, and that other dimension is something you cannot see, but just because you cannot see it does not mean it's not real. I cannot see electricity, but I know it's real. You can't see the wind but you know that it's real, and so there are certain things that are, if you will, invisible, but nevertheless very real, and this is true for the realm of the kingdom of God. There is a realm of God's kingdom that exists beyond our visibility, and there's also a realm of darkness that exists beyond our visibility. Paul made this very clear in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Let me read this for you. Uh, Let this sink in. Finally, be strong in the Lord Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in, all, in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Peter made this clear as well. 1 Peter 5:8. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In both of these passages, as well as th- during the ministry of Jesus, as he expelled demons from people, you realize that Jesus operated, the apostles understood that there's not just a seen world, there's an unseen world that has impact upon your seen world. A lot of times, things that are going on in what you see are the result of things that are happening in the unseen realm, light and darkness. Have you seen God's blessing evident in your seen world at times? Yes, but it was God working in the invisible affecting things that you see, and obviously the opposite of that is true. Oftentimes our adversary works and affects things that we see as well, but it hap- happens in an unseen realm. Second of all, you have to learn or be aware of dark activity. Learn to detect dark activity in your life. Now, I want to make this very, very clear to us today. Anytime you are tempted to do something wrong, or any time you're drawn away from God at any level, that the, 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 the source of pulling you away from God ultimately is Satan, right? Satan is opposed to God. The devil is opposed to God. And so, uh, darkness is opposed to God. So, anytime, any in the general day-to-day living, any time you're tempted or trying, you're, you're, you're try, something's trying to pull you away from God, that's not God. That's That's something opposed to God, right? That's darkness. And all of us every day in a general sense have to battle darkness, right? Anybody tempted every day? Of course you are. We all are. We're tempted every day. And so we live in this battle every day with darkness. But there are times where that dark attack against us is escalated. There are times when those those realms of darkness, the satanic attacks, if you will, the demonic attacks against us as Christians, it kind of goes to another level. It's not just the general stuff we deal with day in and day out. We find ourselves in what we would refer to as a spiritual battle. There's an adversary that is working in a particular way against us in a particular season. Jesus had that experience when He was taken into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It was a time of intense spiritual attack. And there are times of intense spiritual attack that you will go through as a Christian. And you must learn to detect those times because if you don't detect those times and be aware of those times when they're happening, you will not respond accordingly to them. Again, every day is a battle, but there are times when the battle goes to another level. Anybody with me today? it, It sort of gets ramped up a bit. And so you have to detect those moments and say, you know what? Something's unusual about what I'm going through right now. I know I go through stuff all the time, but but this seems to have the mark of something a little different on it, and it seems to be a a more aggressive attack of the adversary. And so, you detect those things, and that leads to the third thing that I'll mention here. And the third thing that I want to mention is that you need to decide then, once you're aware uh, of a dark attack against you, to actually engage that battle in faith. What I, I like to think of it this way, detection always calls for action. If you detect a thief coming into your house in the middle of the night, you don't just lay in bed and say, well, I hope he goes away, right? No, if you detect someone breaking into your house, you then are, if you're, if you're, if you're wise, your detection motivates you to do something active against that. You take a stand. You do something in that moment. You pick up the phone and call 911 or you get your baseball bat out. I don't know what you do, Okay. But you say, I'm going to respond to this situation in a certain way. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Notice verse 9, stand firm against him. Rise up against him. Another translation says, resist him and be strong in the faith, remembering that your family, believers, All of the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. And so the first thing is to be aware, be aware of the battle. Number two, be armed for the battle. Be aware and be armed. When soldiers are placed on a battlefield, a great commander will make sure that soldier has everything possible to win the war. If you're a good commander, you're going to make sure that your troops have the right artillery the right weapons necessary, the right backing necessary to everything possible to win, right? You don't want to put a soldier on the battlefield and then withhold the equipment from them. You want to make sure they have everything necessary to win that battle. When God called us in Jesus Christ into relationship with Him, and when you responded by faith and gave your life to Christ, what I want you to know is that when you entered into the kingdom of God, by faith in Christ, you were provided by God every weapon necessary to win. Our God is a great commander-in-chief, isn't He? He has made sure that you have everything necessary to win. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 describes this. The weapons, talking about the spiritual weapons, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Here God says, the weapons I've given you are not weak weapons like the world fights with. I've given you powerful weapons that can demolish the strongholds of the adversary, can actually demolish or break down, destroy demonic strongholds. Jesus as I mentioned a moment ago you see that in his ministry as he drove demons out of people he demolished strongholds in people's lives people who were bound up found themselves being freed or delivered at the word and at the command of Jesus and so Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever he still does that work in lives now I want to share with you some of the um, some of the some of the equipment God has given you because I want you to not only be aware but I want you to be armed I'm going to quickly give you Eight uh, weapons that every Christian has been given. You have to learn to use them. They're no good to you if you don't know you have them or you don't use them, but these are eight weapons every Christian has to fight against the adversary of their soul. Number one, you've been given spiritual body armor. I'm not going to read it for you again. We read it a moment ago, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, but there the Bible says that we're to put on the full armor of God. Full is important because... If you're going to be able to withstand the enemy, you don't need partial body armor. You need full body armor. It does you no good to have a helmet without a breastplate or to have a breastplate without having a helmet. You need the full armor of God. And so here's the way the Bible describes the full armor of God. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, your loins gird with truth, your feet shod or if your shoes on, if you will, of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. So, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes of peace, f- shield of faith, sword of the Spirit, okay? Every Christian has been given these, these, the, the, this armor, okay? But just like any kind of armor, you have to put it on. You can't leave the armor by the bedside and go to battle and not have the armor on. And so you have to wear the armor. And you say, well, how do I wear the armor? Well, there's a lot of things. This is a, that, that is a series in and of itself, okay? And I've done series on that before, and I'll need to do some of that in the future. But let me quickly tell you one of the ways that I do it from time to time, just each, in a practical way every day. Waking up in the morning is a part of my prayer time. Sometimes I'll say, God, I thank You today that as I start my day, I put on my helmet of salvation. I thank you that in you my mind is being renewed to truth. And so today I'm wearing my helmet of salvation. I have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. I belong to you, and my mind and my thoughts belong to you. Lord, today I put on my breastplate of righteousness. I realize that my righteousness is in you, Jesus. And so I'm not going to subject myself to the condemnation of the adversary because you have made me right in right standing with you. And so I walk today in that sense of being right with God, righteousness with God. Today, Lord, I put on my belt of truth. That is, today I'm going to let everything that girds me up today in my life be that which is true. I'm not going to buy in to the lies of the adversary. I'm going to live my life on the basis of the authority of Your Word, so I gird myself with truth. And Lord, today I'm putting on my gospel shoes, that everywhere I go, I go as a representative of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, if I have an opportunity today to speak to someone about You, then that my witness will share You with someone. But if I don't have opportunity to speak a witness to You, my life will be a witness to You today. As I walk, my walk will represent You as the gospel of peace. I take up the shield of faith, God. My, my orientation today is I believe You. I don't doubt You. I believe You. I believe you, I believe your promises, so I'm holding up my shield of faith, and God, today I take the sword of the Spirit, I'm going to fill myself up with your Word today because the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so it is practical in the way that you you equip yourself every day to fight the adversary. If you start your day like that, you're in a better place to win, amen? Second thing that God's given you is the weapon of prayer. Prayer is indeed a weapon. It's a way that you tap into the power of God. That's why Jesus said, pray this way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That is, prayer fights the adversary. Praise is the third one. Praise is a powerful thing that when you're going through a spiritual battle, one of the most significant things that you can do is to simply make a decision. I'm going to spend some time verbalizing, expressing, communicating my praise to God. Because I will tell you this, when you fill your atmosphere with praise, you're shutting out the enemy. When you fill your atmosphere with worship, the devil doesn't hang around an atmosphere like that. A lot of the reason that many of us are so overwhelmed with the darkness that we find ourselves in at times, we never create an atmosphere of praise. We have an atmosphere of grumbling and griping and complaining, and so the adversary shows up in environments like that, but when you change your environment and say, I'm going to have an atmosphere of praise and worship, you're inviting God. God is attracted to praise. There are a number of passages that we could read there. I'm not going to read them for you today. I'm going to tell you one story that you're familiar with, though, that's not listed on your notes here. It's found in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, it's a story of Paul and Silas being thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. They've been beaten up and abused, and they're in the inner dungeon. It's midnight, and they're in a horrible place. But but, but Paul and Silas make a decision in that little place what would seem like nobody would know where they were, the inner dungeon of a, little, a place called Philippi in Macedonia, and they're in this back hole pushed away, and nobody knows that they're there except them and those that have placed them there, and yet they make a decision to do something. Remember what they did? The Bible says they prayed and they sang to God they begin to pray and praise and the Bible says that God heard them from heaven God came into their environment and an earthquake shook up that place and loosed them and set them free and and the Philippian jailer met Christ everything turned around the victory came because Peter, because Paul and Silas prayed and praised in that moment and so it was a weapon against the adversary and so let's review them again armor prayer Praise, next one is the Word of God. You need to be filled up with god's word why because it's 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 what, it's what, it's what you fight with okay when Jesus was in the wilderness of temptation, Matthew chapter four, there were very real temptations and I, again i don 't have time this morning to talk to you about the significance of the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness, very real significant temptations, but the way that Jesus overcame each of those temptations was with a statement backed by the authority of God's Word when he would say, it is written, it is written, it is written. See, he used truth to push away a lie. Everything the adversary came against him with was, had, had deception associated with it. But Jesus used truth to push away the lies. The enemy will lie to you all day long. He'll tell you all kind of things in your head. And the only primary weapon you have against that is truth, the truth of God's Word. Not your, your, your thoughts, but God's thoughts. It presses back the enemy. The next thing that we see after God's Word is that we have connection with other Christians. We need other people in our lives to fight battles with. You and I need one another, right? You never want to go on the battlefield by yourself. You never send one soldier to fight a war you send troops. Why? Because they work together. They're units that go out and fight. And the same is true when you're going through a spiritual battle. You need people that can help fight the battle with you to keep you encouraged. Notice Leviticus chapter 26 verses 7 and 8. You will pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase... 10,000, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. Interesting, the multiplication effect uh, that happens when we team up with other people. That's why you need to be a part of the church. The church needs you, but you need the church. You need to be a part of the church. Why? Because strength comes to you in spiritual battle as a part of that. The sixth uh, weapon that you've been given is love and forgiveness. God gives you the capacity through His Spirit to love. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, love is. And forgiveness is what He calls you to do. Now, why is this important? I'll read some verses in a moment, but why is this important? Because Satan operates in hatred and bitterness. Anytime you see hatred and bitterness and resentment, you can know there's a dark spirit behind that. That's why you don't want hatred in your life. You don't want bitterness in your life because anytime hatred takes hold of you or bitterness takes hold of you, you're giving a place to the devil, the Bible says. When anger gets in you and you don't resolve it, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that you actually give a place to the devil. Because he has, he has some territory. And not, I'm not saying you become demon-possessed. I'm not saying that at all. But you do give up ground to the adversary. Because hatred and bitterness and resentment, th- these are these are expressions of darkness. And so in the midst of a battle... Uh, spiritual battle. You want to make sure that you're walking in the love of God and walking in forgiveness so the enemy doesn't have that grip upon you. And love is the opposite of hatred and forgiveness is the opposite of bitterness. And so you respond in a spirit that is opposite to the spirit of the adversary. Let's go to the Scriptures and see what it says here. Luke chapter 6 verses 27 and 28. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. That is, do the opposite to what they're doing to you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Notice again the opposite response to what being done to you. You respond in the opposite spirit, the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for He has said that He will repay those who deserve it. Don't take the law into your own hands. Instead, feed your enemy if he's hungry. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You will be heaping coals of fire on his head. In other words, he will feel ashamed of himself for what he has done to you. Don't let evil get the upper hand, but conquer evil by doing good. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love, notice this, love covers over a multitude of sins. The seventh weapon that you've been given, if you'll live it out in your life, is what I've called here consistent faithfulness to God. Just living for God every day wins a lot of battles. Every day serving God, every day I'm going to be consistent. Proverbs 16, verse 7, one of a person's ways are pleasing to the Lord, that is, he's living for God, he, that's God, makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When you're living for God, God can, can change the heart of your enemies uh, in, in a way that, become, that becomes favorable toward you. Last one I'll mention here is that you need to learn how to proclaim Jesus' name and the power of Jesus' blood. I want you to know today that there is power in the name of Jesus and there is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. This is not preached on enough, so I want to bring it right straight forward to you today. There is one name that is above every name. They're not names, there's one name. There's one name above every name. Philippians chapter 2, you don't need to turn there, I'll tell you about it. You can write it down, read it later. Paul said, inspired by the Spirit, that Jesus, because Jesus humbled himself and became obedient, to the cross, God exalted Him and gave Him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus," say His name, what's His name, Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no name like the name Jesus. I'll prove it to you. When people curse, whose name do they use? They don't use Buddha, they don't use Muhammad, they don't use, that alone should tell you there's something different about that name. They curse using the name Jesus, which is, an, which is actually a dark attack, it is an attack of Satan against the name that is above every name. That's really what a curse is. That's why you need to be careful how you use that name. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's another series. I've got about ten series. I'm working on my mind right now, okay? (laughs) But you have to realize there is this wonderful, powerful name, and what you must also understand that that name has been given to you, not only for you to be identified with personally, but actually for you to use in battle against the adversary. You've been deputized, authorized to use his name. Just like if I were to give you the power of attorney and say, you can use my name, you can sign documents for me based upon the power of attorney, I authorize you to use my name. If I did that, then you would have the authority to use my name. In the same way, Jesus, when He made you a part of His kingdom, He gave you the opportunity and the the right and the privilege to use His name against the adversary. That is, when the enemy comes against you, you can simply say, in the name of Jesus, I resist you. In the name of Jesus, I stand against you, because you can't stand against the enemy in your own name. You have to have a name that is above your name, and that name is the name that is already conquered. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. But not only have you been given the power of Jesus' name, you've also been given the power of Jesus' blood. His blood is powerful. That's why there's songs written about the blood of the Lamb. Because there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Let me take you to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. Take a look at what what it says here. Actually, listen to Mark, chapter 16, verses 17, and verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will... Drive out demons. Exodus 12, 13 and 14. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Now, obviously, this is about the Passover in the Old Testament when the Hebrews were going to be delivered from Egyptian slavery, but there we see that they were delivered from Egypt. Egyptian slavery by the blood of lambs. They all would shed, they would kill a lamb, and the blood would be shed. They would paint the, the blood over the doorpost, and the Bible says when they did this, the death angel passed over them. No destruction came near them. And let me tell you, if that worked with a physical lamb back in the Old Testament, how much more will it work with a lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world? That's why daily you need to be pleading the blood of Jesus Christ over your life. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. And you can pray something like this. I'm, by the way, understand, I'm not talking about some kind of, quote, magical incantations just using phrases to kind of uh, chase the enemy. I'm talking about faith in these things. Faith in these, belief, understanding what it is and using your faith in it. When you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, today I plead the blood of Jesus over my life. And Lord, I thank you that I am covered in the blood of the Lamb. The death angel does not have any grip and destruction has no place in my life today because I've been redeemed into abundant life. And so I proclaim the blood of the Lamb over my life. I proclaim the blood of Jesus and plead the blood of Christ over my wife and my family and my grandchildren. And I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over our church family. And I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over this friend at work that I'm sharing the gospel with, and so you begin to call on and reach out and plea the name of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb. Folks, there is power in these things. It's not, again, some magical thing you do. It's the reali- recognizing the reality of who Jesus is and what His blood accomplished. You recognize this, and this becomes real in your life, and it motivates you in spiritual warfare. So you proclaim His name and proclaim His blood. Last thing I'll mention here. Be aggressive in the battle and be assured of victory. Be aggressive in the battle. So be aware. Once you're aware, be armed. And thirdly, be aggressive. Can you say those three things with me? Be aware. Be be armed. Be armed. be Be aggressive. And I would also add to that, be assured Once you've written that down, I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, just to look at me for a moment because I want to give you a very, very important theological truth, doctrinal truth that has practical implication for your life. When you're fighting a spiritual battle, it's extremely important that you understand you're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from a place of already established victory. Now, that might, what, What's the difference? I'm going to show you. Anytime you're in warfare, you're not fighting for victory. Oh, I sure hope we win. No, you're you're fighting from a place of already established victory. You're already victorious before the battle begins because you're in Christ and He has already conquered. See, we're not waiting for Jesus to conquer. He has already conquered. Now, all of it, all the wrapping up of everything is still in progress and process until the second coming of Christ and the consummation of the kingdom and uh, the millennial reign of Christ and all those things that eschatology deal with and all the eternal future that we have. All that's going to wrap up a lot of things, but the victory has already been won. Jesus is not still going to win a victory. It's already been won. His name has already been exalted. We're not waiting for it to be exalted. It has already been exalted. That's why on the cross when He died, one of the last words, last sayings of Jesus was, it is finished. What's finished? He wasn't just talking about, I'm done. No, it is finished means, I finished everything necessary for victory. Now, do we still engage battle? Yes, but we are fighting not for victory, but from a place of victory. We simply are utilizing the authority that has already been given to us against the adversary. We are arresting darkness. And you can't arrest darkness unless you are authorized to make an arrest. Correct? I know, you lost an hour's sleep. I'll say that again, okay. <laughs> you cannot arrest unless you're authorized to make an arrest, right? You have to have some authority to arrest someone, okay? All you law enforcement officials here, you have to have have a badge, right, okay? That's why when you show up, here's a badge, okay? I have some authority here. Now, based upon that authority, I now say you are under arrest. And you have have the backing of the law, the backing of all the power necessary to enforce that, okay? In the same way, you as a Christian, you, you carry a badge. That badge is... The name of Jesus. You carry a badge. It is the authority of Christ in you. It is the blood of Christ over you, working through you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And so, when you come against some trafficking of the adversary in your life, some in, some encroachment of the enemy, you realize, oh man, this is not just normal. I see the enemy's trying to get into my marriage here. The enemy's trying to get into my kids here. The enemy's trying to get into my finances here. The enemy's trying to get in. I see this is more than just the standard kind of stuff I deal with day and. And day out. I'm under a spiritual battle right now. I need to pull out my badge. I need to get, I need to make some arrest here. And so you move into a mindset of actually aggressively enforcing. Now notice there's a key word there aggressive. You can't be passive when there's an attack coming against you. Because if you're a passive. Then any kind of aggressive move by someone, if you become passive, what does the aggressor do? The aggressor just continues to press you back. And that's where a lot of Christians are. The enemy comes against them, and they go into passive mode, and then they just keep getting pushed back, and the enemy gets more and more ground. But here's what you have to do. You have to take a stand. You notice a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 6, how many times Paul said, stand, 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 stand. Peter said, be aware the enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom may devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. He says, take a stand. Be aggressive. Say, you know what? You're not going to get this territory. No, I'm arresting you. And here's the better part. Not only are you not going to get this territory, but I'm actually going to press you back in Jesus' name, Okay? and the territory you've already taken, then I'm going to make some advances. That's where the Bible says we pray, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. It's not just a matter of protecting in a defensive mode, but actually taking an offensive stand where we're taking ground from the adversary as well. That's another series. I'm I'm messing myself up big time here today, okay? But you have to be aggressive. Say it with me, be aggressive aggressive. Don't passively step back into the situation. You're fighting not for victory but from victory. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 will be done. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, Paul says, before you met Christ. Then God made you alive with Christ for He forgave all our sins. So when you accepted Christ, that's what happened. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So all of your sins and my sins, uh, they were nailed to the cross. Jesus took them for us on the cross. When He was nailed to the cross, He was paying the price for our sins. In this way, that is what He did on the cross, He disarmed. Notice that word. What does disarmed mean? To take away somebody's arms. That's all it means. Not these arms, by the way, okay? Artillery, okay. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory, not a victory to come, but by His, by His victory already established by His victory over them on the cross. So our task in prayer is not to win a battle but to take a stand of authority based upon the victory Christ has already won. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves, then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 6, 10, and and 11, Be strong in the Lord in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. What do we learn today about spiritual warfare? Be aware, be armed, be aggressive. aggressive. Say Say them with me again. Be aware, be armed, and be aggressive. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning, Lord. Let it find a place of growth and maturity in our lives. Let us use it. Help us to be aware, Lord, of those attacks of the enemy against us, not intimidated by them but aware of them. Help us to be armed, Lord, daily to use the weapons that are the weapons of our warfare, mighty through God, for the pulling down of strongholds, and help us to be aggressive, to take a stand in resistance or empower us by the Spirit of God to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention His name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ.